Get on and talk to us. Yeah. Welcome to Mintcast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. This is episode 389, recorded on Sunday, the 12th of June, 2022. Living the good life, I'm Bill. From hot and humid Texas, I'm Joe. From the outer rim, I'm Norbert. I'm just Moss. And we'd like to welcome our special guest, Steve Seguin. Is that how you say that? I apologize. It works for me. All right. Again. Thank you. Yeah, welcome, welcome to Mintcast, Steve. Thank you. First up in the news, there are new regolith and cinnamon desktops. KDE has new gear, Telegram Premium to launch, Plex has new Linux apps, Atom Editor gets nuked, and Ubuntu works to tame its demon. Damon, demon. More on that later. System76 goes to Europe, and Europe is all about the sea. In security, Symbiote's uh, malware discovered, and Apple M1 chips are found to be flawed. <gasps> then in our wanderings, Joe is fighting trees, Bill is editing shows from the cab of a truck, Moss is spending Jeff Bezos' money, I bet he didn't even notice, Norbert is in a galaxy far, far away, and we get to meet our... New guest, Steve Segwin. So in the news, Cinnamon 5.4 desktop environment released for Linux Mint 21, codenamed Vanessa. And this is from 9to5Linux. Cinnamon 5.4 has been tagged for release and distribution with the upcoming Linux Mint 21, due out this summer, based on Ubuntu 22.04 LTS. Clem said the following, In preparation for Linux Mint 21, we are updating Cinnamon's JavaScript interpreter and rebasing its window manager on a more modern version of Mutter. This is a huge task, and it requires many code changes in Cinnamon itself, and causes a significant number of regressions. Highlights of Cinnamon 5.4 include resize pop-up for terminals, the ability to copy system info into clipboard, simplified hot corner setup and support for corner barriers, updated fractional scale switch backend, improved show desktop applet, support for application actions with icons in the menu applet, Support for the calendar applet to display end time for single-day events. Improved right-to-left layout support for the sound applet's volume slider. Support for the photo frame desklet to not display hidden files. And a port of the XRender, or XRNR, however you say it, applet to the Mufflin API. With this release, Cinnamon is now capable of adopting to logical monitors, where the primary monitor is not always zero. Numerous bug fixes are also present, as well to fix device duplicates in the power applet. The implementation of the raised lower desklet layer, the placement of the XApp status applet tooltip on the vertical panels, 
various key bindings, do, uh, documentation, and many other core components. That's got to be like the biggest thing he does all day is just keeping up. We Matei users are looking forward to it. And Mint 21 itself is likely to release in June, right? Before the end of June, because it usually does. Does it? Yeah. I think someone, who, I think Huzi was uh, the one in the Telegram who looked at the release dates of previous Mint versions and they were very consistent and within the time frame of June. What I'm most excited about Mint 21, I realized, is uh, whether there will be an overhaul in in how things look because in 20.3 there was a nice new theme so the mint white theme was changed and it looked i think it looked better than the previous one so i'm, I'm i wonder if there will be the, uh, similar things like maybe the icon theme or or things like that cinnamon's one of those things that's just gotten iteratively better over time it was a bit shaky when he first released it, I remember it was kind of a knee-jerk reaction to Gnome 3 and and the whole Unity thing. You know, we wanted something modern, but we didn't want to completely abandon the desktop metaphor that everybody was used to. Right. We wanted something that was basically Gnome 2, but updated. And that's what Cinnamon gave us, because it was a hard fork of Gnome 2. No, Cinnamon was a fork of Gnome 3, early Gnome 3. But that's what I was going to say. I think, yeah... Because you had, at the time, you had Mate, and I think we talked about this earlier on Discord. Mate was kind of a continuation on the Gnome 2 paradigm. And then uh, the Cinnamon kind of took the bits from Gnome 3 that we could get, that we could use, and then build something that was a little bit more traditional out of it. And like I said, it was a little shaky at first. Yeah, the big technical detail on Mate was to convert it to... GTK3. Yeah. Whereas uh, Cinnamon went the other way and was already GTK3 and tried to make it look like the old GTK2 app. But until even when Mint 20 came out, uh, Cinnamon was still doing quite a bit of crashing, but they got better at crashing and rebooting faster than the user would tend to notice. I have no Cinnamon specific issues with this system whatsoever. And that, and and likewise with Mate, I've got Mate running on a couple other things, and it and it runs just fine. I wonder how much of that is due to Martin Wimpress being part of that team. Very much so. Martin greatly improved Mate. It's like a whole new thing. Mate can be about as as heavy duty or as light as you want it to be. In fact, I think the difference in terms of resource usage between the XFCE and the Mate version is not even 100 megs in, in RAM. I, I think it's... In my usage, it's been between 10 and 20 yeah, megs. Yeah, it's, it's tiny. It's not even worth mentioning, really. But it also should be mentioned the XFCE has gotten larger in the more recent iterations to make it that close. It's interesting because... The way I see XFC and Mate, they should be really close, but in a way they are... So maybe it's just that I'm too used to XFC and Mate, and when I tried it, it felt weird for me. So is there any advice you can give me that maybe could help me get uh, to like Mate, because I'm not very fond of it still? We can do that some other time, I think, Norbert. We've, We've got meetings, we got lots of things, but right now we're doing news. 
Speaking of which, the Regolith desktop 2.0 is out with many changes. This is from OMG Ubuntu. Regolith is a desktop environment that pairs the i3 tiling window manager with GNOME flashback, so not GNOME proper, and adds in an assortment of other open source components to deliver a keyboard-driven user experience. The developers have replaced the Rofi launcher with a new desktop executor, as they call, as they refer to it, designed for Regolith itself, called Ilia or Ilia. It's I L I A. I think it's Ilia which lets you search, see and launch apps, managing windows, see desktop not and see desktop notifications. Ilia also assumes the role of keybinding viewer, which shows on first run and is available to view at any time, which is really nice, I think. Regolith 2.0 also swaps the standard version of GNOME Control Center for the new Regolith Control Center. And you can install Regolith 2.0 2.0 on top of Ubuntu 22.04 or Ubuntu 20.04 and I think they have proper ISOs, at least they used to have proper ISOs, so that you can install Regolith, an Ubuntu with Regolith uh, pre-installed and they also have uh, now a new option to install Regolith on top of Debian Bullseye, so basically you can, currently they, they only support Ubuntu and Debian maybe they will support other distributions in the future and has anyone tried Regolith? Actually, my first introduction to tiling uh, desktops was Regolith because a little more than a year ago, I was in an online class, programming class, and our instructor was sharing his screen. And I, it, I was a bit curious because he was using Regolith and I didn't even know what the tiling window manager was at the time. So I asked uh, about it, uh, he told it was Regolith and it was very keyboard driven and not, that, that was around, I, I was still very new to Linux and uh, he did say that it wasn't very beginner friendly. I think I downloaded and tried it once and I was a bit overwhelmed, but that was like over a, one and a half years ago and now I'm using Sway on my uh, laptop. I never properly tried Regolith. So basically, the way I see it, it's a it's a way to have a tiling desktop, but still have a graphical pre-configured system with graphical settings and stuff. So this is something I, I'm not. I don't know. Is there a? I don't know how much of a need is is there for something like this. How much? How big of a market? But I like the idea of. So currently, we have PopOS and this that offer a tiling workflow while having a full. I assume it has a full graphical system settings. Part of the point behind one of these window managers is that it it it's makes better use of the screen real estate because regolith not so much because they put like a buffer between the individual windows, but with a tiling window manager you've got nice evenly spread out by buffer, you mean gaps? Because you can set the, the gap, gaps. That's yeah, what I but meant, you can, yeah. In most window managers, you can set the gap size. Yeah, I, but by default, I think there's a noticeable gap between the windows. But it is also more keyboard-based. And that's another thing. Instead of mouse-based. There are plenty of people that are very used to a keyboard-type workflow. I know a uh, sysadmin for the library system for Indiana University, he uses DWM, which is about as far down the stack as you can get in terms of lightweight. And he likes to be able to bring up 20 or 30 SSH consoles at the same time to monitor all the 
servers and it makes really good use of the, of the screen real estate like i said i know i don't know it to each their own you know what i would like to see more of is optional tiling in desktop environments like what popos does because regolith is tiling only and i recently discovered one of my friends was using popos he shared his screen and i realized there's an option in popos to hide the the window decoration not just tile the windows but properly take more take a better advantage of the screen real estate like a proper tiling window manager which is interesting yeah i think most of these older type window manager tiling window manager harken back to a time when you wanted to use your machine in the most efficient way possible people people still enjoy using it that way but i i i used dwm for a time on arch linux because i went through kind of an elitist period and it doesn't get any more elitist than that and that's the other thing about those communities is it tends to be the thing about dwm is there's no config file whatsoever it's all of your configuration is done at compile time so it, you literally just do your changes and then recompile your binary and then restart and then all of your changes take place now there that's about as elitist as it gets i think so but i i liked it because it was you talk about low resource intensive it was almost nothing now if you want to take that to a whole different level you should you should install gen 2 and go through each option when before you compile the kernel and turn off everything that you don't need and then you can like cut your RAM usage, idle RAM usage in half even, and then put DWN on top of that. I've installed Gen 2 several times. I've never been able to get the custom kernel thing to work. Maybe I just don't know. I tried it twice. The second time was a week ago, and I managed to get it to boot. But then I didn't have proper networking, and I wanted to install Network Manager, and it was it 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 gave me an error that it wanted to compile stuff, but it needed like eleven gigabytes of free space, and I only had nine. So I was like, "Okay, I think we're a little off topic. Let's move on to the next news story." All right, KDE Gear twenty two oh four point two is announced from the KDE community. Over one hundred and twenty individual programs plus dozens of programmer libraries and feature plugins are released simultaneously as part of KDE Gear. They all got new bug fix source releases with updated translations, including ARC with support for 7-zip as well as P7-zip. Console, which fixed scroll position jumps regression. Ocular, fixed crash while undoing with the menu on an empty annotation. Does anybody use this? Does KDE gear just mean all of the KDE applications that come with a full KDE desktop? Because I know that console and Ocular are just KDE applications. The answer is yes. Okay. Do you have some more information on this, Moss? Because the article here seems a bit light and... This happens like every month or two and... I can understand it being light because they just wanted to say, okay, it's it's new and it's out, and if you want to mess with it, here it is. So does KDE just release new versions of their applications independent from Plasma releases? Because GNOME... Well, notice this is only a point release, 22.04.2. 
So uh, explain to me again what exactly KDE gear is. KDE gear is everything but the desktop itself that comes with Plasma. Okay. And it's just because they wanted to make this clear, unclear, clear delineation between the application development and the desktop development development. And they, they, they originally tried that with plasma and I don't think I don't think that did enough to separate the two things because I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we yeah, they did call it plasma gear before and they decided to just make it KDE gear so they could keep it separate. They just call it KDE, and then it's like, okay, what are you talking about, the desktop or the or the applications? And a lot of people don't have a marvelous idea that that's actually two very different, very huge things all in and of themselves. I think maybe they should have just kept calling the desktop itself KDE instead of KDE Plasma because the way that they switch the naming is more confusing. We are not responsible for their decisions. No, but I, I think the people that use KDE software and they use Plasma, they understand what these differences are, you know. So for the rest of us, it's just com- conversation. Moving on. Okay, Telegram to launch premium plan at four ninety nine a month from Bleeping Computer. Back in 2021, Pavel Durov, the founder of the Telegram Messenger, confirmed that it was exploring new ways to place ads within the posts of public channels. According to the company, Telegram's experimental ads will be small posts with a limit of just 160 characters, and they won't include external links, but the ads will have a link to a specific channel. The company is planning to launch a subscription platform that would reportedly start at $4.99 a month, U.S., and reduce the limitations of the messaging app. However, the details of the premium plan are sketchy as of now. Sketchy, kind of like the app itself and the developers. I don't really see this going anywhere. Does this Would this also affect uh, third-party clients? Like uh, there's one for in development for GNOME called Telegram. So would you have to use the official client to, be, to have this ad show up? We have no information on that. I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of Telegram. For Android, I found an app called Telegram X, which is... I'm not even sure what it is. Telegram X is just the next development of of their interface, and I do use it regularly. Basically, I just downloaded it and I stuck with it. It It seems to be missing some features, but it also seems like a more lightweight app, so I just like it. So, moving on... Joe. Plex's new Linux apps arrive on FlatHub. This is from OMG Ubuntu. The proprietary Plex desktop and Plex HTPC apps made their Linux debut on Canonical's Snap Store a few weeks back. At the time, the media streaming company said that Flatpak builds would follow in the future. Plex's new Linux apps are now available to install from FlatHub. This makes it super duper simple to get both the new desktop client and its big screen friendly sibling up and running on your distro of choice. Be it Ubuntu, Fedora, Arch, or Mint. It's good to have FlatHub. It's good to have Snaps. I use the Deb, but um, I don't use the Plex desktop version. I just use Chrome, so I don't know how useful this is. 
I don't either. I just go on the web and go to FlatHub, download the thing, and then then use my terminal to install through Flatpak. That's the Plex desktop. I'm saying to access my Plex, all I'm all I ever do is just hit hit up the website. I have never used it. I use Jellyfin. What am I missing? Well, Plex anymore has um, some integration with a bunch of other streaming stuff. So you can get like podcasts on there. And I do believe they um, have a deal with Sony so that they're directly integrated with Crackle. So even if you don't have something, you can search through Crackle or you can search through podcasts. And then instead of downloading it um, and adding it to your Jellyfin, you could just watch it directly. And that has been useful. And, and you know, um, you can search through or just find random things to watch and it's all already there for you. And I know they have a couple of other deals coming down the pipeline. I know that they've been talking about like local broadcasts and things like that. It's good to have Plex. I'm just wondering why I would need Plex desktop or Plex HTPC when I can just access it from a browser. Maybe it's so that they, I mean, if you're wanting to make HTPC specific distributions that you can perhaps put on a Raspberry Pi or something like that. Somebody can just hook it directly up to their TV and then it would have its own interface that's more uh, optimized for a remote control or something like that. Maybe that would be a good use for that. So anyway, Moss, Adam. Okay, Adam editor support ends in December from the GitHub blog. The Atom devs decided to retire Atom in order to further their commitment to bringing fast and reliable software development to the cloud via Microsoft Visual Studio Code and GitHub Code Spaces. They announced they are sunsetting Atom and will archive all projects under the organization on December 15th, 2022. Now, I further added in the comment, I didn't get an article link on this. Some devs are restarting the project with a new name and it's written in Rust. I didn't put the links in because they haven't got it released yet. Oh, Rust. Yay. Cue fanfare music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where's it? Where's that? Jupiter. We are not Jupiter. We are not. We Thanks are not for clearing Jupiter. that up, Moss. I was getting ready to start asking for boosts there for a second, and then good thing you cleared that up for me. This is the Mintcast Broadcasting Network. Adam, anybody use it? I've heard about it. Yes. That's it. I've heard the word somewhere. I don't know. Chemistry class, maybe? But I but I, I've, I think I've heard about the editor. Right? I've seen its logo somewhere. I just, there's so many others you hear people use uh, out of curiosity. There's a lot of people on, on the Linux user space group. They're kind of busted up about this, but they're looking forward to the new editor. Is it just a text editor or is it an IDE? Because they said, I mean, okay, not they, but some people said that it kind of makes sense that they discontinued it because now they had VS Code and they had Atom and they had a lot of, lot of overlap between the features, but because... Well, the problem is the same devs are working on both projects, and so they decided why. But VS Code is an IDE, right? So is Atom also more than a text editor? 
or sorry, was Atom. I mean, it still is technically. I suppose, and I think that's the reason why stuff like this is probably not as as popular as it was, is because VS Code and Sublime Text and some of those are just so they're just so much better, so much more feature rich. Out of curiosity, Steve, what do you use for development? On on Linux, I use Vim. On other systems, I use Notepad plus uh, plus. I I have used Atom on Mac. It, it's okay. I I don't like uh, overly feature rich. Uh, I think IDs. you can use Notepad plus plus on on Linux. There is no native. You could get it to work with Vine, but there is as far as I know, there's no native version for it. I I'm largely using. Um, server or headless kind of like SSH versions. So I kind of just have grown very familiar with them. Cool. All right, we ready to move on? Asahi Linux celebrates first triangle on Apple M1 with fully open source driver. And this is from Pharonix. Uh... While there has been progress with the Mesa code targeting Apple M1 to run basic tests, they have been running un- under macOS with its kernel driver. This week, the Asahi crew celebrated their first rendered triangle running with a... F- okay, so they're actually talking about a triangle. Okay. With a fully open source driver stack. Currently, there is just a basic frame buffer driver and the OpenGL acceleration is just leveraging LLVM pipe. Uh, And then I have an update. It turns out the first triangle appears to be from their M1N1 based environment and not a proper Linux driver stack quite yet. But it's still open source, right? Yes. I pulled up the picture of the triangle. It's a... It's an RGB triangle, so it's not a, just a plain triangle on the screen. It's a, so it has color gradients, and I've seen some posts. Uh, they uh, their next step they want to achieve is uh, be able to render an image that they re- re-render an image that they rendered under macOS uh, to have it look close to identical. It was an image of a it was a 3D render of a rabbit, I think, or not 3D. Well, I I'm not really familiar with graphics rendering. I know polygons are some usually triangles. It just seems that this Asahi thing is broken up into getting graphics working and then everything else. It, you know what I mean? It's like this. That is the one thing that is uh, it that turns out to be a Herculean task for that project is getting the hardware market itself sort of also broken up too use about graphics cards and their supply and demand and everything else. Yeah, that's fascinating. They I hope they I hope they get it worked out soon. That way I can run out and buy mine. I didn't mean that. Apple's already announced the the death of the M1 chip in favor of the M2 chip that they're coming out with, so <laughs> And so it repeats. Yes, but it can be that difference. Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> I wonder if if, if or when Asahi gets ver- perfectly usable, would Apple start using it on their servers? Because I assume they are currently also using Linux somewhere on their servers, because everyone uses Linux. So they could use yeah, Linux on their own hardware. It's a good question. 
anyway, moving on. System 76. System 76 hardware is making its way to Europe soon. This is from its fuss. As per as an interview with System76 principal engineer Jeremy Soller, System76 has plans to come up with a distribution center for Europe in the coming months. Unfortunately, they will not be making laptops and desktops available. The process of minimizing shipping charges, taxes and other stuff with computers needs time. Hence, they plan to start with the launch mechanical keyboard and an upcoming launch light edition by System76. Europe will need a different keyboard layout as well, so hopefully we will. So you could be in for something comfortable as per your requ requirements. Note that the planned European distribution hub for by System76 does not aim to make its collaborative projects available, like the HP Dev1 laptop. So it will, as far as you know, it will only uh, make uh, hardware available that is only System76. However, no clarity has been provided on that front, so you can expect System76 to expand to other regions, or they could improve their collaboration with laptop manufacturers to let more users experience PopOS. Hopefully their laptops and desktops become available in the near future. Right, well it could easily, it could be much easier to collaborate with the already uh, European desktops uh, and laptops like, uh, my brain just went out. Entraware and Tuxedo. Well, I, Tuxedo was what I was thinking of, but Entraware was not, but that would be a good one. I was thinking uh, Slimbook in Spain. That would be a good one. That's just an ARM-based laptop, though, right? Slimbook. No. No, Slimbook is uh, the same thing as Tuxedo. It's, uh, they just buy Clevo computers and repurpose them. I know there's a lot of brands that are Linux first, as far as laptops and desktops go. I just, I'm just not entirely sure how big of a difference it makes. I mean, obviously, if you buy something like that, you will support uh, companies that put Linux first. But because they are also smaller companies, they also are more expensive, more expensive products. And there are also a bunch of larger brands like Lenovo and uh, I think uh, Dell as well that have pretty good support for the hardware as far as Linux goes. Well, you take a company like System76, for example, and a lot of what you're contributing to there is a company that is not just putting out kit, but they're actually contributing back to the Linux kernel. They, they've made, I mean, they've got an operating system. They've got a hardware driver manager thing that they're working on, too. And all these things are distro agnostic. So I think if you're if you're looking for a reason to support one of these companies rather than just somebody that puts out a laptop that happens to have Linux on it like HP or Dell. HP's systems that they're putting out that have Linux on it have Pop! OS on it, which is from System76. So I sure hope that HP, at the very least, is... Throwing a little bit contributing of back to system 76 i thought about that too i'm like yeah wow that's i thought about that when they were using ubuntu and then when they go and do this that was even more interesting well i think we should really give a lot of credit to system 76 because unlike almost all of the other linux-based laptops out there they are starting over the last five years they've re 
made their entire lineup so they're making the machines themselves not just rebranding someone else and if Nishant was here he would also point out how much they contributed to the NVIDIA drivers being as good as they are on Linux but as far as hardware no I know my previous Lenovo laptop had everything working out of the box with Linux but I got my current laptop and I had to install stuff manually for audio which I was was a bit surprised by because I assume that Lenovo generally has good support for Linux. Most of the time, I suppose. I mean, that's that's the continuation of the old ThinkPad thing, isn't it? Yeah, but no, it's it's an IdeaPad, so I I'm not I don't know if it has any roots in ThinkPad. Oh. Yeah, the IdeaPad is a consumer grade. The ThinkPad is business grade. Okay. Ubuntu tries to tame System D out of memory, Damon, from Veronix. One of the many changes with the recent Ubuntu 22.04 LTS release was enabling System D OOMD by default as the out of memory daemon that can kill processes when under memory pressure. Unfortunately for some users, this has led to a poor desktop experience with finding their applications being unexpectedly killed. Ubuntu developers are now discussing how to improve this OOMD handling. Various bug reports and other issues have turned up of user applications being killed too frequently, such as the Chrome web browser and generally without notice or the user even being unaware they are under memory pressure. Ubuntu developers are now trying to figure out how to best handle the out-of-memory daemon's behavior moving forward. I will point out to beat Norbert to it that Fedora has been using this daemon for two or three years already and they've not had the problem for the most part. I didn't know about that. I thought it was Ubuntu to adopt it first. Fedora had their own thing, actually. They've been using the systemd OOMD daemon for two or three years already. Okay, maybe that maybe that's what it was that they came up because I remember it being a Fedora thing before I remember anybody else adopting. I mean, it was in the kernel, but the Fedora thing improved upon that quite a bit because the kernel thing would. It dealt with the out-of-memory, but it wasn't as well-tuned. All things System D come from Fedora. Is that right? I thought they came from Red Hat. Well, Fedora comes from Red Hat. Leonard Pettering, or however you pronounce that, who is not a very popular person, but has made some really great strides in Linux. I've not run into the problem myself. I... I, I wonder I wonder what kind of things people are doing that's pushing their memory all the way to the top, honestly. Because I usually run out of something else long before I run out of memory. But that's just the kind of hardware I got. Well, you're not using a Chromebook either. <laughs> no. But that's what I mean. What are what are you pushing these devices to do that's Maybe people running it out of memory? Threadrippers like sixteen core CPUs. With low memory. Considering certain use cases, maybe even 32 gigabytes could be considered low memory. Wow. Opening too many Chrome tabs. Yeah, because I'm looking at everything I got running here, and I'm not even, I'm not even scratching the surface in terms of, you know, in terms of RAM. So, well, a lot of the Ubuntu users were reporting that they weren't getting close to the memory according to their own levels, and the OOMD was still kicking in. All right, well, moving on. 
Europe makes Type-C chargers mandatory for all phones. This is from Fosbytes. The European Union has reached a deal with the Parliament and Council to make USB Type-C ports mandatory for all future devices. The news might be very unpleasant for Apple, which hasn't shed the Lightning port for over a decade. This deal will force them to offer a USB Type-C port on their future products in the EU. The official press release clearly mentions that the USB Type-C port will become the norm for all upcoming devices by 2024. It also highlights the flight of consumers who have to spend extra money on multiple types of chargers. The EU deal will apply to mobile phones, e-readers, earbuds, digital cameras, headphones, handheld video game consoles and portable speakers. Laptop manufacturers will get up to 40 months to adopt the USB Type-C into their products. The EU laid down some clear guidelines for manufacturers to be transparent with the consumers. The products must clearly describe their compatibility and the consumer will have to will have the option to have a charger or not. I'm really happy about, happy about this. Yeah, well, it's not the first time that the EU has tried this because they did the exact same thing with micro USB, what, 15 years ago or something like that? Well, yeah, but micro USB was not nearly as good a plan as USB-C. And I think you can't push the power that you need... Because when they did it back then, you know, there were so many different types of connectors. But now there's really only two that you're really seeing for phones. And that's the Apple Thunderbolt connector and USB-C. But back then there was proprietary connectors for every Every phone phone. that was out there. Yeah. And so, yeah, this is really useful. It's just, you know, even when stuff like this happens when stuff like this happens apple still tends to go their own way and says to heck with it either you sell our device or you don't but yeah i i'm everything else that i that you buy nowadays is usb c unless it's just an older model older design that's micro so can apple can apple just say well you know what screw you we're just going to make our devices with no jack on it whatsoever and it's going to be wireless charging or nothing because they've already taken the headphone jack away of course i say that but my samsung doesn't have a headphone jack either because everyone copies what apple does well you know apple tried to say that they were first to remove the headphone jack but they really weren't that was um htc with the um htc dash and the Dash 2. Neither of those had a 3.5 millimeter jack. Both of the, both of them had a... Um, that was actually a mini USB adapter. And um, those are just the earliest that I remember. And that was long before Apple removed theirs. And you can get adapters for USB-C for headphones too, by the way. I use one in my truck. I don't know where I read this, but allegedly Apple came up with the Lightning in the first place because they were tired of waiting for USB-C to become widespread or to be introduced. Is that true? I well, I think uh, they were aware of it coming. And like I said, I, I I don't know where I heard or read this, but I I think I think it's the case. Okay. Because, yeah, USB-C just solves so many problems. But if that's the case, then why didn't they just jump on the USB-C bandwagon for their phones as well as soon as they started doing it for the iPad? 
Well, they've been testing out switching to USB-C for a while as well, and that, that's buried in some of the articles that they've been testing that on their, their iPhones for a while, just getting that set up, and it's just something that they haven't done yet. That and all the little tiny ARM chips that they ordered to put on the end of their cord, they got to use them up. USB-C is just nice. Even my, my laptop, it's a 2021 uh, idea pad it has one and it works for charging as well and it solves the greatest problem we ever had with these cords and that that is being able to plug them in both ways anyway moving on to our security update new symbiote malware affects all running processes on linux systems from bleeping computer a newly discovered Linux malware known as Symbiote infects all running processes on compromised systems, steals account credentials, and gives its operators backdoor access. After injecting itself into all running processes, the malware acts as a system-wide parasite, leaving no identifiable signs of infection even during meticulous in-depth inspections. Symbiote uses the Berkeley packet filter hooking functionality to sniff network data packets and to hide its own communication channels from security tools. This novel threat was discovered and analyzed by BlackBerry and Intizer Labs researchers who worked together to uncover all aspects of the new malware in a detailed technical report. According to them, Symbiote has been under active development since last year. Yes. Is BlackBerry still manufacturing phones? Well, they are still manufacturing software for their phones. No. They are still selling phones. They are... They've announced end of life for pretty much everything. I think they've gone on to do... Their focus has changed, that is, to uh, software security as a rule. But I don't have any more details on that. Okay, MIT researchers discover unpatchable flaw in Apple M1 chips. This is from TechCrunch. Apple's M1 chips have an unpatchable hardware vulnerability that could allow attackers to break through its last line of security defenses, MIT researchers have discovered. The vulnerability lies in a hardware-level security mechanism utilized in Apple M1 chips called Pointer Authentication Codes, or PAC. This feature makes it much harder for an attacker to inject malicious code into a device's memory and provides a level of defense against buffer overflow exploits, a type of attack that forces memory to spill out to other locations on the chip. Researchers from MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory, however, have created a novel hardware attack which combines memory corruption and speculative execution attacks to sidestep the security feature. The attack shows that pointer authentication can be defeated without leaving a trace, and as it utilizes a hardware mechanism, no software patch can fix it. The attack, appropriately called Pac-Man, works by guessing a pointer authentication code, a cryptographic signature that confirms that an app hasn't been maliciously altered. This is done by using speculative execution, a technique used by modern computer processors to speed up performance by speculatively guessing various lines of computation to leak PAC verification results, while a hardware side channel reveals whether or not the guess was correct. What's more, 
Since there are only so many possible values for the PAC, the researchers found that it's possible to try them all to find the right one. In a proof of concept, the researchers demonstrated that the attack even works against the kernel, the software core of a device's operating system, which has massive implications for future security work on all ARM systems with pointer authentication enabled, says Joseph Rabikandran, a PhD student at MIT CSAIL and co-lead author of the research paper. I believe that's Ravi Chandran. Ravi Chandran. So when they say it can be patched not even with via microcode, like what Intel does at AMD4 Spectre? Well, I suppose if they um, added in something to get rid of, you know, the PAC entirely or the... Um, speculative execution entirely then possibly but that's going to extremely slow down your processor and then what's the point or limit the amount of times you can try speculative execution you know like like any good security when you're logging into a website if you tried it more than a few times they lock your account for a while well, any more on this nope all right, so moving on to our bi-weekly wanderings. Joe, what do you got going on this week, these last couple of weeks? Well, right after the last show, um, half of one of my trees in my front yard fell down. Um, I thought I was going to have to spend the next couple of days taking apart, but I was lucky enough to be able to borrow an electric chainsaw from a friend and get the whole thing dissected in a couple of hours. I have added that chainsaw to my shopping list on Amazon and I will be getting one for myself. But I mean, seriously, it's like right after we stopped recording, one of my kids walked into my garage and, and said, Hey, part of one of the trees fell down. And I spent like the rest of the day just getting rid of that tree. I recently put up another YouTube video on my personal channel on making a USB battery bank and showing how easy it is. I'm realizing that I'm going to have to put in some more work in getting my production quality up, but for now I'm just trying to get more videos out and get more practice in it as I go. This brings up my total video count to like three. That is currently public and in the last year. And that's a little bit pathetic. I, I should be able to get more than three in a year. Um, I will be putting out another video in the next couple of days, but I'm trying to make it so that most of my videos don't center around MMCX mods. Now, of course, I'm going to have some on it, but I don't want all my videos to just be MMCX mods. I put my 3D printer through its paces again, making several more of the casings for the battery banks and another Grogu figure just to see how the fine details are still working on my 3D printer. Uh, I had some trouble with the filament being a little bit older and with the humidity here, it gets very brittle very quickly. Also, I started having trouble keeping the, the bed level, like I would level it and then immediately afterwards it would be unlevel. So that led me to tightening the X arm and that fixed the problem. So after that I would level it and it would last at least a couple of prints. Evidently, it's been a little while since I did proper maintenance on, on my 3D printer. 
because I started having some extrusion problems and I needed to replace the nozzle. The nozzle is not complicated to replace on the Ender 3 Pro V2, but it is extremely awkward just to, cause you have to have it hot and then you have to also have the, the front cover off and then you gotta take the, the silicone sleeve off. And then while it's hot, you're using a piece of metal to loosen up another piece of hot metal and it transfers heat rather quickly. I am trying out a different casing for those DIY power banks after I got it all back together and it should this this new one that I'm trying out shouldn't have to be glued and should be much easier to maintain going forward. I won't have to like break it to take it apart if some of the soldering comes undone. If I like it well enough I may end up redoing the recording that I did previously and make another one and post that to YouTube. Now, moving on, the weather in Texas has been very hot and humid, like 104 degrees and like 80% humidity. And I'm trying to spend less time in my garage, so I've moved a lot of my work setup into the living room, but my hobby stuff and my weightlifting stuff all has to stay in the garage, so I'll transition that to a lot more evening and early morning stuff. But as you can see, I've moved back into my secondary office in my living room while well, people that are on YouTube can see it. And then as for my bike, my last inner tube popped a couple of days ago and I'd been waiting to get a replacement, but I finally one arrived yesterday. But while waiting for it, I started doing more walking for my cardio and during that time, you know, listening to audiobooks, I was able to bump my speed back up from 3.5 to 3.75 again, and I'm working my way gradually back up to 5x. Now, that replacement inner tube, I put it in yesterday, and then I waited an hour so that I could go for a bike ride, and when I went out there to get moving, my tire was flat, so I, I got my little air pressure gun and got it hooked up again and it wouldn't go over 5.5 psi so there's a massive hole in it somewhere and it's brand new so i did contact amazon and they are sending me another one and it should be here on monday and hopefully tomorrow night i'll be back on the road on my bike again bill what have you been up to well what a doozy this week was. I started off with a trip out to Albany, New York. Now, from my house to that customer, it's about 11 hours, which, meant, which means I took off Monday after getting loaded and delivered that Tuesday morning and then drove all the way home that night. I got home at about 10 o'clock Tuesday night. On Wednesday, I again loaded copper and headed to the East Coast. This load went to New Bedford, Massachusetts. It's all the way out on the coast, just about. It, it sits about 12 minutes from Cape Cod. The weather was absolutely fantastic, which was good to maintain a halfway decent mood. Now, New Bedford sits 14 hours away. And... Normally, if I were to load this on a Wednesday morning, I would deliver it by midday on Thursday morning. But in this case, the customer would not take delivery until Friday morning, which was slightly irritating. But I understood because 
it's uh it's actually there's been a lot of that because some speculation is that the price of copper is getting ready to rise and so a lot of customers are buying up as much as they can right now to stockpile but not every customer has space to hold on to this stuff copper is one of those things that is on the pricey side uh, a truckload of this stuff electrical wire grade copper can be in the several hundreds of thousands of dollars range so it's it's really valuable my company charges a premium to haul this stuff but customer in this case says they weren't going to take it until friday morning nonetheless i showed up thursday night and uh the people that were working that night took the delivery but they would not reload me so i was literally stuck in their dock overnight which is not a real big deal i was kind of i was kind of planning on that happening but it 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 means that I had to uh, plan for that, and so I brought food with me. The reason I had to wait, the copper rod is coiled on a sp- special-made skid that has a specific bespoke shape, meaning that these skids are made specifically for this product, and they're huge. They're about two and a half sizes uh, bigger than a regular skid. These skids are specially made for that shipper, and... So we wait until they get enough of them to ship back, and then we we take an entire truckload back to the to the shipper. Which means you have to have a uh, legal bill of lading reflecting all the relevant data for the load, and that's that's where the problem in lied because the bill of lading can only be filled out by specific personnel, meaning there's a significant amount of responsibility attached. And when I got there Thursday night, there was nobody available willing to take on that responsibility. And I, as I said, I was prepared. Uh, the truck I drive is large enough to have a few creature comforts in order to survive on the road, if only for a few nights at a time. One of the cool things they put in some of these trucks is a refrigerator. Most people maintain the reasonable expectation that when they put something in a refrigerator on a Wednesday morning, it would be kept cold and would be ready to eat on Thursday evening. Uh, Most people would have been disappointed, as I was, when I opened the door and found that the uh, electricity, the breaker had tripped shortly after putting the food in. So here I was stuck in a dock with nothing to eat. So I thought, okay, I'm a guy of the times. I can get on DoorDash and find myself something to eat. And so I did. And then that, that sparked a, uh, a huge odyssey where I tried to explain to this person that I'm in a truck in a dock and, and, uh, I'm parked on the opposite side of the building is when you're, when you come in the entrance. Anyway, from the time the delivery driver showed up, to the time I actually got my food was about just less than a half an hour in between the time. Okay, because they showed up and I saw that they were there because you can see on the map with the DoorDash app, you can see that they're there, but they're not on the side of the building that I was on. So you can call these people up right there from the app. And so I did, and I'm trying to explain to them, no, I'm not. I don't work for the company. I'm backed into the dock on the other side. And boy, oh boy, it sounds simple, but it took a lot of time. They don't read the instructions. 
Yeah, no, it they didn't. And I kind of counted on that happening, too. I've gotten used to people not paying much attention to detail in recent years. And so I was kind of planning on that happening. And that's why I was watching so close when they showed up. But anyway, after about a half an hour, I got my food and I was good. And that was about at seven o'clock at night. And I didn't get to bed that night till about one o'clock in the morning. And that was that was because I was working on some editing for some shows that we were behind. I'll get to that in a minute. The next morning they showed up. They about 20 minutes later, they loaded me and I was on my way back. Now, as I said, uh, New Bedford is about 14 hours away from Fort Wayne. Now, U.S. Department of Transportation dictates that we are only allowed to drive for 11 hours in a 24-hour period, which means that's not enough time to get back home by Friday night. So I made it just a little ways south of, you know, southwest of Cleveland, shut down for the night and worked on some more shows and uh, and then got home probably about, I don't know, I think it was about one o'clock Saturday afternoon. I was actually thankful for the time on the road because it gave me some uninterrupted space to get some editing done for a few Mintcast episodes, which was actually a learning experience for me, too. I don't think it's been a secret. We we fell desperately behind with the work editing and publishing of the audio-only version of the podcast, so it was all hands on deck to get that ship sailing again. God, I hate Navy references. I don't know why I did that. Try to forget as of now, we are completely caught up, not not counting this episode, but we are caught up with the editing, and I think Norbert is actually uploading shows to the website as we speak. Yeah, so by the time this episode gets uploaded, everything will be uploaded and up to date. Outstanding. And I want to say that mostly uh, getting behind on editing was mostly my fault because... So a couple of things happened at the same time. The people who were previously editing left the show around the time when I came on the show and uh, because I had previous experience in video editing. Somehow in my brain, I convinced myself that I should bring that to the table and I should contribute to Mintcast by doing editing, but I'm also not very good at managing my time. And I'm a university student and I also had some health issues and I'm, I don't want to just find excuses because I know I could have done a better job, but we also know that we should have at least two or three people ready. So we should have backup editors. And I agree with that. I, 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 I think, I think leaving it all up to one person was a big mistake from the get-go, but we were dealing with a lot of huge changes at the same time. So I'm I'm not going to say that it's all one person's fault. But I would say not one person, that mostly mine, because I'm also somewhat of maximalist, perfectionist, which doesn't really blend well with me being not uh, very good at managing my time. And I also should uh, learn how to be more open and how to be a team player, because I also am aware that because of being maximalist i it's a bit difficult for me to to do teamwork in general i I should have i should have seen that uh, when i volunteered i would still be happy to edit some of the episodes but 
I also know that Bill and some other people, even some people who are not on the show, like Londoner, have helped with editing, which for which we are really very grateful for. And if someone who's listening has experience with audio editing and would like to volunteer, we are also open for for that. But moving forward, I think I can safely say that our goal would will be to we get done recording. For example, today on a on a Sunday evening, we will have the first half of that show out that coming Wednesday night. I think it would be good to have them out by 6 a.m. U.S. time. On what? Wednesday? Or? Wednesday, yeah, Wednesday. Uh, let, let's discuss all that later and just move on with the, the bi-weekly. But that's, that's, the, uh, that's the goal for now. Yeah, like I said, it's, it's good to keep up with the fresh news cycle. Now, I actually enjoyed the learning process of editing the shows uh, using Audacity. I've been doing editing for Three Fat Truckers since the inception of that show, though Mintcast is arguably more complicated in terms of how many elements are involved. I've actually learned a few tricks that I'm going to apply to 3FT doing that editing. My thanks to Leo for the documentation that I didn't know existed until... I was a couple episodes in. The whole thing came together when I finally got past the terror of uh, working and editing with software like Audacity. And I got focused and stayed on the task. Once I committed to the job, I started to pull it together. My first episodes are not perfect, but they they weren't bad, I don't think, if I was to be my own critic. And it got the episode in people's players which was, in my opinion, the most important thing. And I hope people won't notice a couple of the mistakes I made. At least I hope they don't. But again, I found it enjoyable and rewarding. Thanks for getting that done, Bill. The machine I take on the road is the one that I used for that. And I never, I never imagined I would use this machine to do something that important. It's an HP Pavilion 15 F272WM and that's got an Intel Pentium N3540 processor not by any means a powerhouse it's got 8 gigabytes of RAM and it took about 7 times longer to do any kind of effects or rendering than my Ryzen 7 that, that, I'm, that I'm on right now it's a good thing we're not doing a video podcast yeah, yeah, I wouldn't have even tried it with that machine. But I was I was somewhat impressed. I mean, it was it took a few minutes to do rendering and that, but I don't think it was too bad. That machine's running Arch Linux with an XFCE desktop. I approve of that. <laughs> I've upgraded the storage on that machine to an eight, uh, Samsung 860 Pro SSD, which gives that that boosted the machine's I/O performance. I also added four gigabytes of RAM, as the machine only came with four. Uh, and that's unfortunately the, the limit that the motherboard is capable of addressing. For a while, I considered taking my much more powerful HP Omen i7. That's got 32 gigs of RAM and a Samsung 980 Pro NVMe. That would have made short work of it. But the the Pentium is the one that I normally take on the road. I've actually got a 12 volt cord for that, and it's it's got other things that are you know I, I'm used to taking that with me. 
Anyway, all that being said, uh, to wrap it up, I've moved mintcast.org to Linode. So that's big. This is not a sponsored segment. No, it is, no, it is not. Um, but I, I don't mind saying Linode is probably my favorite cloud hosting platform out there. And now our website resides on a fully up-to-date Ubuntu server 2204 with, again, a fully updated LAMP stack. Before it was, the installation was on a Debian stretch, which had an up, with a less than up-to-date stack. I also went through the website page by page and did some much needed updates, uh, including the about the host page, which now more accurately reflects the current, the current hosts that you see regularly on the show. I fixed some of the social ner- networking links. Uh, I removed the old Google Plus link. And lastly, and arguably most importantly, I fixed the 10-episode limitation we previously had for our RSS stream. Listeners now have access to 300 episodes from the feed. That was a limitation set forth by two things. One, the WordPress settings and the PowerPress settings. And if you've got one set and not the other, you still run into trouble. Because even if you tell PowerPress, the Blueberry PowerPress plugin, to allow for 300 episodes, you're still only going to get 10 because that's WordPress's limitation. I was under the impression that this was a limitation by what was Blue Blueberry. Blueberry makes the WordPress plugin, but there's no limitations in place as far as how you use it. The only thing Blueberry offers a paid tier for is web or uh, podcast hosting. And then you get statistics and things that go along with that. I was under the impression that this 10 episode limit was uh, the limitation of a free version of Blueberry. Yeah, but there, I mean, there's no free version. We don't have a uh, account as it will with Blueberry. We're just using the plugin they make for WordPress, which is free. Anyway, yeah, prior to that, the best way, if you wanted to go back past 10 episodes and you didn't have them in your podcast catcher already, the only way to do that would be to go to the archive.org website and get them that way. Or mintcast.org because the blog posts have the download links. Right. Yeah, there you go. But now that's been fixed and you can binge it. You could go back to, I don't know what, 1984 and listen to... 2017, I think. (laughs) I think it's further back than that, but it's it's quite a ways because 300 didn't cover it, didn't didn't go back all the way. So yeah, now we're in the big time. You want to you want to binge us for a weekend? You can do that. 2013 episode 165. Yeah, wow. That's it for me. How about you, Moss? Distro Hopper's Digest was almost canceled at the last minute, but we went ahead with me, Dale, and Josh Hawk, and we had a lot of fun. It's out now. I have installed Calyx OS on one of our Pixel 3a XL phones. I am indeed finding how hard it is to not have access to Google Play and its system for apps. It's very illustrative as to how much security you give up for Google convenience. At present, I'm using the Calyx phone as my main phone and my other still Googled phone as a Wi-Fi tablet for when I need those services, and I'm looking for alternatives. 
I have installed the new alpha of Open Mandriva rolling with LXQT desktop based on Open Mandriva LX 4.3 Rock on my ThinkPad T540P. It's considered alpha because it's the first they have used any desktop other than Plasma. And it is also the first time they've had their rolling version as a pre-rolled ISO. What I have to say about it is this. If this was the only version of Linux that existed, I would be happy. OM continues to be the most beautiful desktop out there, in my opinion. I may prefer the way I can get anything done with no fuss on Mint, or the way the Moksha desktop lets me work in Bodhi, but this distro more than fulfills the goals it aimed for back in the early 2000s. Jeff Bezos gave me money. I purchased a refurbished Fire 7 2019 tablet. UPS delivered it to the wrong address. While I was trying to give Amazon time to complain to UPS, my wife got them to send another tablet. I found the first tablet and it refused to set up, would not recognize my Amazon login. I called for support and since the second tablet had not yet arrived, I got treated like a thief by tech support. So on Friday, the second tablet arrived. I had already decided to send them both back and order the new 2022 model due out by the end of this month, so I called them and asked for a return label. Their computer told them to issue me a refund and not send them back. Then it refunded me the money I would have paid for a new, not refurbished Fire 7. Now that I have the second tablet working, I'm thinking of just keeping it. The nice lady Amazon did suggest a date I should wait to order if I do order the new tablet because there would be some returns and I could get that tablet as a refurbished model, which is 10 bucks cheaper than a new one. I'll keep it in mind. Of course, we spent some of the money removing ads from the tablet and purchasing covers for our two new fires. My wife just got a 2021 HD8 fire tablet. As always, Full Circle Weekly News continues to come out every week. It's fun, it's challenging, and it's brief. Norbert. I started rewatching Star Wars. But for me, watching Star Wars doesn't just mean watching three movies or six movies. It means going through all of the canon media in a chronological order. Well, not all of them. The movies, the TV shows, and some of the canon novels in audiobook form. I've only previously read or listened to a couple of the novels. And the previous, the last time I went through these, I started in 2016 and I sort of caught up early, early last year. So I found the book titled Master and Apprentice, which is about Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan a few years before episode one. And I start so I just started listening to that. I'm a couple of chapters in. It's surprisingly interesting, I would say. So in the next uh, couple of years, slowly, 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 I plan to go through all of the kind of media again. I know that in September, there's a new animated season of The Bad Batch, which is a sequel to The Clone Wars. So I plan to watch through the prequels and listen to the audiobooks by them. And uh, I just want to uh, give a quick shout out to the Star Wars audiobooks, which are those that have been produced by uh, Penguin, Penguin Random House or Penguin. There are 11 movies. Oh, I know there are 11 movies. Interesting, I, I, I never got around to watching The Last Jedi and uh, The Rise of Skywalker. But anyway, Penguin Random House uh, produces, they have produced a surprisingly large amount of uh, the canon, the new canon Star Wars audiobooks. And uh, they are really good. And the guy who is narrating them, he's also very good. 
So Jonathan Davis, these audiobooks that have been, uh, that are narrated by Jonathan Davis, he does really good voices. I think it's good when an audiobook is read by a single person because if you have multiple people, I'm not even sure if that's a thing. It can be, it can take you out, but he does really good voices. He has a great impression of, Obi- of Obi-Wan and Yoda and Dooku and pretty much every character, he nails them. So if uh, someone likes Star Wars but uh, has never read or listened to the canon audiobooks, I, I can recommend them. It is a thing. Most specifically, the one that comes to mind would be the Wheel of Time series, which had two authors, one male, one female. Interesting. Or not two authors, two readers. But I guess it can be sometimes weird when a, a, for example, a male narrator is reading lines for a female character or vice versa. They, It's sometimes hit or miss. I know that sometimes... It depended on perspective. If it was coming from the perspective of one of the male characters then it was the male reader, and yes, sometimes females were speaking, so he would do a female voice. I know what you mean, though, because I listen to the the audiobooks of all the Dune series, and it's usually just one one reader, and it's usually male, and when they do the female monologue, it, they always, like, put this lame, high-pitched sound to their voice, and it, it is, I can imagine it is better if you've got a couple of people involved. Well, there's also audio dramas, which will have a bunch of different actors reading. Yes, but an audio drama is basically if you, as if you're watching an episode with the picture turned off. So those are full cast dramas that have all, even the footsteps and doors opening and stuff like that. But there's only a couple of audiobooks that do the multiple readers. And the one that comes to mind for me is always going to be Wheel of Time, because 14-hour books... Two readers, one male, one female. Would you recommend that I never read The Wheel of Time? Yes. Okay. So anyway, I've listened to two Star Wars audiobooks that are between uh, Revenge of the Sith and uh, the original trilogy. One of them is The Lords, the Lords, Lords of the Sith, and the other one is Ahsoka. So Lord of the, the Sith is uh, narrated by Jonathan Davis, and Ahsoka is narrated by the original voice actor of Ahsoka Tano. And I know that it was weird when Ahsoka Tano's uh, voice actress was reading lines for Stormtroopers. And I know a good example of a, ma- of a male narrator doing a good female impression, I think, was uh, when he was reading lines for uh, Asajj Ventress in uh, Dark Disciple. But, I mean, Ventress has a raspy voice. So that's, I guess that's easier for a male uh, narrator to do than, for example, I lost my train of thought. So, I mean, more ladylike characters because there are, like, Star Wars, I don't know where I wanted to, uh, you get the idea. Like, I didn't want to say generic female voice, but I guess I could say that. I don't really know how to explain it. I'm still... On Void Linux, I came back to Void Linux on my laptop and I found a new appreciation for Void and Wayland because Void seems to have a lot of surprising lot of packages in their repos which are way smaller than, for example, the Fedora Arch repos and they don't have nearly as many maintainers. Packages related to Wayland and building a Wayland desktop on top of Window Manager. And I've also realized that it even has packages like PyCharm, so I had to get a bunch of Python-related packages for doing assignments in Python for uh, university. And uh, sometimes it feels like Void gets behind in packages, but other times it 
feels like it's really up to date. The interesting thing about Void is that they, as far as I know, they don't accept donations. They don't have a public uh, page for donations. But if they had, this would be the number one open source project I would donate to because I really appreciate it. Other times, I have really weird experiences just before the show. I wanted to download the, the native package for Audacity because I wanted to switch from the Flatpak. And for some reason, XDPS wouldn't work. But uh, most of the time, it's a very stable distro. And I also have been using it for the majority of the time I was on the laptop, with a few ex- exceptions. For now, I had to boot into Fedora for the show because uh, of what I said about Audacity. But I also started tweaking Firefox. So I uh, learned about a couple of tricks. One of them is if you go into the customized toolbar menu, you can drag the to the bookmark toolbar to be in the same row as the uh, as the address bar and the navigation buttons. So for, you can go from three rows to down to two rows and still have a couple of bookmarks. But it's good to just remove the names from the bookmarks so they are just icons to save space. I just have one folder, so I just click the folder and it's one drop-down menu for my bookmark because I realized I didn't, I liked having a bunch of bookmarks on the toolbar without names, so it would just be a bunch of icons, but it's also very kind of distracting. So now I just uh, started populating the new tab uh, menu for Firefox and I have this one folder. But I also discovered something called uh, userchrome.css, which you have to turn on in the about config. And then you can have a CSS file in your Firefox profile to modify your t- your toolbars even further. So I could I could put the tabs and the navigation icons with the address bar and the bookmarks into one single row. So at the at this point, I can just have everything in one row. And I also found another f- flag that I could turn on to force this on XFCE, which without that has a different has a separate window decoration and tabs row so everything is just packed into one single row which gives you a ton of free screens screen space for websites and i also found a theme that makes it completely black so now it blends in perfectly with my black top panel so it's it's interesting and if you combine that with a web page that has proper a nice uh, dark theme everything just blends in well, and this is something that I had, I needed to do to, because I mean, not that, but uh, the black, I, I already told, spoke about the way bar. So anyway, I also wanted to mention, so a few weeks, a few episodes ago, I was talking about the TV show Devs, which was a miniseries, a sci-fi series that I recommended. And uh, since then, I also... Uh, continued watching Mr. Robot, of which previously I've only seen the first season. So now I've seen three seasons, and uh, I have a friend who has only seen the first season and said that uh, because he really liked how it ended, he didn't really want to risk it getting worse. But I can say that it doesn't get worse, and in some ways it gets better, and it really is one continuous story. So the first season gives the impression of being like a coherent story, but it's really just the beginning. So... Overall, it's, it has a great cast and it's a great sci-fi series. And they also use Linux in it quite a few times. They've used... And a Raspberry Pi. Yes, Raspberry Pi. But uh, 
you watch Mr. Robot, you can see Car Linux, you can see Linux Mint, you can. Even, they even showed Slackware, which I was uh, not expecting. Slackware with XFC at that, which I was really happy about. One of the characters was using uh, XFC on Slackware. And it's very, it's, 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 it's weird saying GNOME, it's, it's basically early GNOME 3. And so, uh, the way they had Kali Linux is how Kali Linux was at the time. So with GNOME 3, but with a bunch of extensions. And by that, I mean, with a, not the activities button, but applications and places being there and the, and the bottom bar brought back for, to make it look like GNOME 2. It's interesting. And I mean, they also mention desktop environments and even when they are in doing stuff in the terminal in a lot of movies when there's hacking scenes they just have a bunch of gibberish in the terminal these are proper linux commands so they had a good eye for it they must have had a bunch of linux nerds on the staff they got good attention to detail uh current lately i've watched the second season of another show called raised by wolves it's an hbo sci-fi basically about space colonization and the concept of androids raising children because it's easier and faster to get get small spacecraft without life support, have frozen embryos and androids, send them to a different planet and then have the androids raise the children than just then getting a larger spacecraft with full life support and hibernate people. So it, it's interesting. There's there's an android, the father android, because they're the, uh, in the main cast there are two androids, the mother figure and the father figure. And the father likes to tell a lot of dad jokes, basically. And when we were talking about cinnamon earlier, and someone said it, it keeps getting better. Uh, that reminded me of one of the of one of the jokes that the, the father android told in the series, which is. A human walks into a bar and with a book and the bartender asks, what's that book you're reading? The human says, oh, it's about evolution. The bartender asks, would you recommend it? The human says, well, uh, it's, it, it's a bit rough in the beginning, but it gets better and better and better and better and better. It sounds like a joke an android would say, but it's, it's interesting if you know how evolution works. Basically, it's just random changes and it usually if it's beneficial it sticks i feel like a joke is not very good a very good joke if you have to explain it or maybe i just i just maybe i was just no i've seen the show and and yeah uh it's always i've always found it kind of interesting when you when a human in these stories builds an artificial intelligence and then artificial intelligence is critical of the human beings when we're the ones that I mean that's that's interesting thought exercise I think Alexa so oh I shouldn't have said that yeah don't do that <laughs> lady Amazon lady cylinder I wanted to say that we are in a way in some ways over reliant on AI already because of the infrastructure of Google and Amazon and other all the other companies. Okay, so if someone is listening to this on a speaker and I activated their echo, I'm really sorry. I'm just, I'm just not used to. What's interesting is, it comes to my mind, is uh, there's a petition by people named Alexa for, to have the name of the echo changed so they are sort of, they can get their name back because it's like, it can, it, it must be difficult because everyone has People want to use that name? Yeah, it, I mean, 
it's it's similar to how the name Karen became an internet meme, and now people who are actually named Karen are uh, having a hard time about it because of that. So yeah, uh, both both shows are 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 good. I can recommend them. Both Mr. Robot and Raised by Wolves. Raised by Wolves, I think it has Ridley Scott involved. I think as an executive producer, I've never seen the original Alien movies. I should probably watch them. I actually haven't seen a lot of movies that a lot of people might say are cult classics and essentials. I know that Joe has listed a bunch of movies for me that that I didn't write down and I had saved in browser tabs on IMDb. I should I should start watching some of those. But Bill, you said you watched Raised by Wolves. Did you like it? Have you seen the second season as well? No, I've not seen the second season. Okay, it gets weirder. Yeah, I I in fact I'm not even all the way through the first season. I still have to list, I I still have to watch the last two episodes, but yeah. It's it's an interesting concept. It's an interesting series. Yeah. Ready to move on? So, uh, in our housekeeping and announcements, thank you for listening to this episode of Mintcast. If you see something you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. We'll have to change that. But it's it's still the it's not the going away, right? No, it's not. And to be and to be clear, we do have mintcast at mintcast.org and mintcast at gmail.com. And I've got both of those set up on my Thunderbird here because I had changed a lot of our business stuff over to the at Gmail address. So when when Google turned around and backpedaled on all that, I got a I got a little angry because it was that's that's just how Google is. You know, they they think nothing of. First off, they go and rip this rug out from underneath people, and then people make all these huge infrastructure changes around all of their crap and then oh well you know what maybe not you know so join us live on youtube post at the mintcast subreddit chat with us on telegram discord facebook or post directly at mintcast.org our next episode will be 2 p.m u.s central time on june 26 2022 there's a link in the show notes to get that converted to your time zone uh, our next live stream will be 2 p.m u.s central time on june 18th 2022 let me make something clear about that too we do our live stream on saturdays opposite of the sundays that we do the show and that is really meant to be a very informal community driven platform meaning anybody on discord you're all in invited to join please get on and talk to us yeah yeah get on there and tell uh, you know you could use that just to have your five minutes of fame because we do stream that and we don't we don't mind whoever wants to come in and join the conversation we usually don't we use that as kind of a meeting space i suppose but we would really like some uh community participation i i i liken it to that new thing they've got on Destination Linux, the uh, Linux Saloon. 
and they they've got a lot of people. I've seen Normert on Linux Saloon. Live stream information is at mintcast.org slash live stream. In the wrap up, where can we find you at, Joe? Well, you can catch me on a couple of my other podcasts. I'm on the Linux Link Tech Show, which you can find at tllts.org. I'm on the Linux Lugcast, which is at linuxlugcast.com. You can email me, jb at mintcast.org, or you can buy me a coffee on Kofi. Moss? Well, you can hear me every week on Full Circle Weekly News. We do Distro Hoppers Digest every four or five weeks. You can email me at bardmoss at pm.me, and all my other information can be found at itsmoss.com. Bill? Well, you can uh, email me at uh, bill at mintcast.org. I'm bill underscore H on Discord. I'm also at WC Hauser3 on Twitter and WC Hauser3 on Facebook as well. Also, check out my other podcast. Uh, the website for that is 3ftpodcast.org, but the name of the show is 3 Fat Truckers. And we. That show is at 3 o'clock p.m. on the opposite weekends of Mintcast. So, yeah, check out Mintcast one Sunday and then 3FT the next, if you just can't get enough of me. Norbert, go ahead. I'm sorry. I actually listened to a couple of episodes of uh, Three Fat Trackers, and uh, I learned a couple of stuff from Bill, like various interesting uh, use cases for buckets, for example. Yes. Yeah, we got some interesting information on there. You can send me an email at norbert at mincast.org, and I actually made a Mastodon account on the Fostodon instance. So it's F-O-S-S-T-O-D-O-N.org, Fostodon. And my handle is at odobinus at fostodon.org. Odobinus as in the scientific name for the Voras. So O-D-O-B-E-N-U-S. I'm not, I'm not doing a very good job of making a Usernames that are very easy to write down based on hearing, but anyway. So Nishant couldn't be here with us today, but you can reach him at Nishant at midcast.org. He's Rikon Ghost on Instagram, uh, Rikon Ghost at GitHub, and Ghost.Rikon on Discord. Also Maverick00783 at Steam. Steve, are you... Uh, you got any socials you want to share for you personally? Uh, you can always find me on Discord at uh, discord.video.ninja. Uh, that's where you can find me. If you want to email me, uh, there's links on video.ninja, but you can also probably use Steve at video.ninja as well. Great. Before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Steve, for being an incredible guest. Oh, who put that on there? <laughs> Moss. For our audio editing, you somebody took out the audio editing. Yeah, because I realized we sort of have a vacancy and we haven't decided who's going to do the episode, the editing for this episode. Yeah, Londoner volunteered for that. And we also want, we should also shout out Tony H and everyone else who helped with editing the the back catalog. Our thanks to everybody who who uh, lined up to lend a helping hand. We got it under control, and it should and is 
a team effort to make these things happen. Josh Lowe and myself, I guess, if that's appropriate to say, for all the work on the website. Hobstar for our logo, Annette RD for the animated Discord logo, uh, Londoner for our time sinks, I guess myself for hosting the Linode, which runs our website, archive.org for hosting our audio files, and last but certainly not least, the Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about each fortnight. Thanks, Thanks Clem. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter, at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music, and thanks for listening to this episode of The Mix.